Welcome to the post-game show on the podcast. Doug Maurice and Bill Landis. We are in Ohio Stadium. We just watched Ohio State beat Michigan State 38-3. to Got out to a big lead, then just sat on them yeah. in the second half, Landis. They did try to score on the first drive of the second half. Uh, a little bit of an underthrown kind of end zone fade to Marvin Harrison Jr. for what would have been his fourth touchdown of the game. Didn't quite connect on it. And then, yeah, just kind of like tried to like stop scoring after that point. I think they were content. They were content. And they don't have a backup quarterback right now. Yeah. So they didn't have somebody they wanted to get ready because Devin Brown is still dealing with an ankle thing. Tristan Jebbia, who's been around, he's not available. So they put in Lincoln Keenholtz, who's a true freshman who just got here, who's actually their fourth-string quarterback, and they weren't going to do much with him. We want to tell you this, though. You might be thinking to yourself, why would I watch a postgame show after Ohio State dominated an inferior opponent like Michigan State? We're going to do three main things on this show Five things, six things. The first thing we're going to do is talk about what we liked. Then we're going to go to the Ryan Day press conference. So you'll hear from Ryan Day live on this show. We will take some questions from our tech subscribers. But the three main topics are this. Comparing Ohio State's win earlier in the season over Penn State to Michigan's win over Penn State today. And then the two things from this game. Did it change your view at all about Ohio State as a national title contender, the way the Buckeyes performed tonight? And did it change your view at all about Marvin Harrison Jr. as a Heisman contender? Three touchdowns, seven catches, 149 yards, another rush for 19 yards and a touchdown. The odds, my friends, are whoo, they are shrinking. By the odds, the Heisman is a three-horse race right now, and Marvin Harrison Jr. is one of those horses. We'll get to that because we're not going to do 90 minutes on, oh, how is Michigan State's defensive line? Whatever. But what did you like about Ohio State's performance on the field in the horseshoe tonight, Landis? Uh, I, hmm, there's a few places I could go. I, I guess I would say I'm going to be hyper-specific because I think we're going to have broader conversations about some of the things I want to talk about. I love the design of the first touchdown to Marvin Harrison Jr. One, because it's like a manufactured touch for your best player to try to get him into the end zone, which we can talk about more when we have the Marvin – Heisman uh, Trophy conversation, but like that the the I don't care who it was the design of that play itself it was a fake counter run to the short side of the field. Marvin Harrison Jr. comes back across the formation behind Kyle McCord. G. Scott does a really good job of like selling blocking one way, pivoting back out to kind of lead Marvin Harrison Jr. to the end zone. And I just thought it was certainly I think the the best bit of creativity we've seen from Ohio State on offense this year. And I sent this out to our text subscribers during the game, like prisoner of the moment, sure, but I would put it up there with one of the more creative play calls I think I've seen out of Ryan Day, period, uh, during his time as the head coach and even going back to his time as the offensive coordinator here. I just thought it was awesome. And it was like a fun play, the kind of play you want to see in a game like this when the opponent is clearly overmatched. Like, do some fun stuff. Draw some ball plays up. They, in that moment, they had G. Scott, on, like you said, like that sort of a reverse motion where he came back out and was a lead blocker. They had Josh Fryer out in front. They had Emeka Buka blocked down. Mm-hmm. They had Carson Hinsman out there. They actually had like too many blockers for the play. The, yeah. the scheme of the play took out eight or nine guys, and then the blockers took out the rest and they made it look easy. Yeah. And they, it, it was actually like creativity aside, I think they've done a really good job probably for four games or so now of building things off of what has become or what have become like their base run plays. And that counter run is maybe their best run that they have have right now. They're most explosive. They're most efficient. 
Um, and they built some passing off of that last week. G. Scott's touchdown against Rutgers was off that run. And now this handoff to Marvin Harrison Jr. for I think it was a 19-yard touchdown uh, is built off that run too. So it's nice to see them building off of the concepts that I think are most important to their success. So I'll say I liked I'll, – I'll say one Kyle McCord throw specifically, but there were a lot of Kyle McCord throws mm-hmm. to like tonight. I think the one I liked the best was the touchdown to Cade Stover. That was not a super complicated route by Cade Stover. I said, it didn't even run a route. What did you say? I don't remember what said I said. It's a tight end seam. Tight end seam. Like, oh, right, right, so, right. But he yeah, kind of just like drifted down the field because he's a big physical dude. He got the Michigan State defender kind of pinned inside him, and Kyle McCord made one of those throws. You like those throws where like the guy almost doesn't have a choice but to catch it because he kind of just pegged it right on Cade Stover's outside hip in a place where the defender couldn't get to it. He ripped it confidently in a spot where Stover could make a play on it. And you noted, like, maybe there had been some moments during this year where Kyle McCord had opportunities to make throws like that and maybe didn't put it exactly where it needed to go. Yeah, I think the the thing that Kyle McCord has struggled with, I think, is consistency of, like, ball placement. And on that particular play, I think there's really only one place you can throw it with the hopes of getting a completion, and that was it. He put it in, put it in that spotting, and Kate Stover adjusted. So I think that's an example of like quarterback and receiver slash tight end getting more and more on the same page and like understanding each other's body language a little bit. But yeah, I think that that throw showed up maybe a time or two um, earlier this year where Kyle I think has tried to put it out in front of Cade, and that's just a really high degree of difficulty. And just like a, it's a hard read for the quarterback, it's a hard read for the receiver because the defender is kind of between him and the ball. Um, so to do it the way that Kyle did it on that touchdown, I think it was perfect. Yeah. And then also, I always, I think everybody, you guys want them to take deep shots mm-hmm. all the time, right? So the play where they motioned Marvin Harrison Jr. from the left side to the right side, I thought they they were doing a little bit of uh, what's the not a puppet like a marionette. They're pulling the yeah. strings on who do we want Marv to be matched up on on this play, and they've done. Like again, early in the year, we were sort of like, "Hey, is Marv going to play in the spot in the slot?" And they slow played it a little bit. We got Ryan Day ready to go, and they're all into it right now. Hey, we'll come back and talk about that a little bit later. First up, Ryan Day live right now on the podcast. Oh, and uh, and was it you intended to get Marvin very much involved from the get go? Yeah, I mean that's always the case, and um, it was great to have everybody back. It was great to have Cade back. It was great to you know, see Trey running. It was it was good to have. You know, Mech and Julian out there, um, certainly Marvin made some big-time plays early on in the game and, and really got us going. I thought the, uh, the the reverse was really well executed by the guys up front. Um, when you talk about a couple of those blocks that were made, um, you know, G. Scott came around and set that edge, and then Marvin did the rest. But Josh Fryer was hustling down the field. I thought the O-line, you know, the first group uh, really did a nice job, and Trey ran hard. Uh, Kyle made some good decisions, um, but like you said, you know, you just Marv, um, you know, is a special player, and you know we're always going to try and find ways to get him the ball. Not that it's always easy. There was a lot of double coverage out there tonight, and still found a way to make plays. Over to the left, Bill Rabinowitz, Columbus Dispatch, and then to Cameron Teague. Marvin, the defense got better as the night went on. It was playing without three key players. Yeah. Uh, first of all, how is Tommy? Is that a long-term thing? And what did you see from the defense? Uh, Tommy will be week to week. Um, it's not long-term, um, but it will be week to week. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we 
feel like we're going to get him back here soon. Um, you know, Lathan's more long-term. But well, um, um, same thing with Proc. We think we'll get him back here real soon. Um, but it was great to see some guys step up, you know, guys that you just – you never know how this thing's going to shake out, and you have to have guys, you know, play. And, and even at the end of the game, able to get some guys some reps. Those are precious reps because you just never know when guys are going to have to be put in those situations. You know, I think back at down the stretch run last year, you know, um, at running back at tight end, there was a lot of times, you know, where we needed guys to step up. And and, um, and so we'll watch the film and figure out who did that today. Over to the right here, Clay Hall, WSYX, yeah, and then think, Dylan Davis. I think it was a career night for uh, Kyle, wasn't it? Uh, 330, 335 yards passing. Could Marv ever throw the football, Coach? Can he throw? Yes. So we're going to leave him just catching, I think, yeah. He can throw it all right, but not good enough to – no, I don't think so game situation yeah, I'd, I'd have to look at it and see if, if if he can do it he does a good job of catching over to the left cameron teague robinson the athletic ryan you mentioned the double teams marv got and it's been all year bracketing right. double team triple team when as a play caller how much do you have to think on a week-to-week basis how creative can i get and getting him the ball in space yeah we um you know we want to get everybody involved. You know, you saw Kate have seven targets and sometimes you, you know, you design a play where you think it's going to go somewhere and it goes somewhere else. Um, I think Julian Fleming's playing really good football right now too. And he just, the ball hasn't quite gone his way a couple times, but it's going to. And the same with Mech every, every week he's getting stronger and we know what he can do. Um, and, then, and then you got, you know, Trey and, and the running backs and chip and Xavier ran hard today too, and had a couple plays down the field, which was great. But, um, yeah, you, you, you try to do everything you can to, you know, put the guys in position to make plays, but ultimately they have to do it. And you know, there were times tonight where he was double covered and he still got open. Um, I think the one coming out of the half, um, pretty sure that was double coverage. He ran right through it and, um, I'll have to watch the film, but I thought Mecca ran a nice route too. I think he was probably open as well, but, um, but just every time that happens, other guys are going to be in one-on-one situations and they have to be able, you know, want to capitalize and, and um, you know, Kyle's got to find those guys. But I, I thought that happened tonight. Good to see us get off to, uh, you know, have to start there. And we're playing complimentary football like that. That's our, you know, that's that's what we can be. And, you know, this is where we want to be playing our best. Over to the right, uh, Dylan Davis, Delaware Gazette, and then Austin Ward. I asked you on Tuesday what you can learn from games like this that are maybe kind of mismatches compared to bigger matchups. Yeah. Um, I guess what is your biggest takeaway from this game or the thing that really stood out to you about your team? I just feel like we're getting all of our pieces back, and I think you're starting to see our identity start to forge a little bit what we're doing on offense. And every year, sometimes it takes a little bit longer to figure that out. And I think you're seeing us play with more and more confidence. Over I think, the- you know, that was – sorry to cut you off, Jerry. I, um, I think – you guys were asking me this week about uh, the game against Rutgers. And although it was a little clunky at times, I said that a lot of guys graded out well. I felt like watching the film that was encouraging and it was coming. And so I kind of felt like something like this was, was right around the corner. We were knocking on the door. So, um, you know, count on this to continue to, you know, push us forward with the momentum to, you know, finish this season the way we should. Uh, Dan Hope, 11 Warriors, and then Pat Murphy. Ryan, when you have a player like Marvin who's gaining Heisman attention, do you think about trying to create more opportunities for him to bolster his stock there? No, you you can't do that. You can't um, start to do that. And I I know that that's going to be part of the conversation, but um, you know that that award is for the most outstanding player, not the standard you know the player with the most stats and. You know, there's a, you know, he certainly made a major impact on this game at three touchdowns, two passing, one rushing, but really only played a half of football. Um, 
So now we, we, you know, we try not to focus on that. We just try to figure out what gives us the best opportunity to move the football down the field. And um, cause we have great weapons across the board and that that's, what's great about having all of our guys back, you know, at, at full capacity. And then the old line really starting to, um, you know, make strides over to the right. Austin Ward, the podcast, Ryan, maybe I'm mistaken, but you seemed content to run things out there in the second half and just get this over with. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but if this game had been in September and not, the middle of November, do you think you would have managed it the same way in the second half? Uh, probably not. Yeah, no, I think you're on to it. I mean, we know what, what's ahead of us. You know, Trey didn't play in the second half. Kate didn't play in the second half. Um, Mecca and Marv only played a drive, and, and then, you know, we started to get other guys in there. Um, it's been a quite a run for us, so it was good to get those guys, you know, out of the game a little bit and cut their numbers down because uh, we know, you know, where we need to be here. So. We're going to take just a couple more for coach so then we can get Marvin on uh, over to the right or to the left. Pat Murphy, 24-7 sports. Right. You mentioned uh, <clears throat> getting some of the, the guys in the second half. Yeah. What can they take from that, even though it's not a competitive game at that point? Yeah. What value is it? No, but it is competitive to them. Like, that doesn't matter. You know, this this is an opportunity. They practice, they practice, they've earned right an opportunity to get on the field. And now they got to grab onto those those reps. And some guys did flash. And that's, that's where, you know, you see a guy on the field and, you know, other guys, it's like, uh, you know, sometimes we say they spit the bit, you know, they, they don't quite handle it the right, the right way. And they have to learn from that. So they're all gradable uh, snaps on film and it doesn't matter what the score is. That should have nothing to do with it. You know, um, uh, like, I, for example, like just a young guy that just flashed to me was Calvin Simpson Hunt on that screenplay. I mean, just well, what a great play for him to show up there. Like, okay. So now, now the coaches see that they say, "Wait a minute, now I mean, maybe we should be looking at this guy," you know, um, and uh, and that's kind of how you know Carnell kind of came on, and you see, you know, Brandon made the play in the Purdue game, you know, that that's part of it. So, um, so great, great opportunity, and and you know, we'll look at those those snaps and see where see where we're at. Spencer Holbrook, Letterman Row, and then Laurie Schmidt. Ryan, uh, seemed like Kyle's over here. Sorry, <laughs> seemed like Kyle's ball placement was among his best of the year uh, with the first touchdown to Marvin and then the, the touchdown to Kate on the back shoulder. Did you see that from him? And, and is that somewhere that you think he's starting to take the strides that you want to see from him? I, th- I thought his feet moved better in the game, just watching the rhythm of the game, the feet. You know, he started off pretty good in the Rutgers game, and then he started off a little better in this game. He's starting to just – the game's slowing down for him. You can just see that happening. Uh, not that it's all perfect all the time. It's not. But when his feet are right and he's found the rhythm of the game, that's when he's playing at his best. And – I threw some really nice balls tonight. Uh, over to the left, Joey Kaufman, Columbus Dispatch. Ryan, what does Cade do for you guys when you get him back? And there were a lot of times where you kind of got him and the sticks moved. It seemed like things are efficient when it goes his way. I think four of the seven catches went for first down tonight. What does he do in terms of just keeping things moving? Yeah, for, for a fi- uh, one half of football, seven catches, 80 yards, and a touchdown. It's it's a good night. You know, he um, – he, is strong inside in the run game makes a huge difference um you know i thought g and, and pat did a nice job when they were in there as well but 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 um mccade is strong in there and then he's he's become a weapon in the in the, the passing game and you know, he's in a situation where he you know he's in a one-on-one a decent amount and he's a big target and he's making contested catches and i think kyle feels comfortable throwing to that big target even when he is covered like he was in the two minute drill, you know, he's, he's a big guy that you can throw him open like that. And he's going to make that catch. And that was, that was a really nice play. Um, so another guy who's, you know, when we're, we're working at full capacity, he's a big part of it. And last question for coach day, Lori Schmidt, Columbus dispatch. Um, Ryan, when your guys show what you've called competitive stamina in a game like this, yeah. what does it tell you about 
what you'll see from them in a big game and how much was tonight a test of your team's focus? Um, coming off of last week, we, we really focused on, all right, now we're in November. Um, we got to be playing our best in November. You play for championships here in November and December. You know, this is, this is where it all counts. And uh, we wanted to take a step this week. Um, and and it, it was just when, when you get, when things get bigger, the focus gets more narrow and it was just about playing as hard as we possibly can and, and executing at a high level. Um, and, you know, we did cut back a little bit on practice this week and I thought the guys played fast. So we'll look at it, evaluate it and figure out what's best this week. Coach, thank you very much Thanks, guys. For joining us exclusively here on the podcast post game show. You think they'd buy that? Yeah, he was in this room with us. Yeah. He's there to predict. So we're glad you could, we uh, could bring that to you guys. We have big picture stuff we want to talk about. Let's talk about injuries real quick, though, because Ryan Day did. Yep. Lathan Ransom, long term, that feels like <clears throat> more specific than they have been and feels like probably not for the Michigan game. Yeah, I think initially the word we got was hopeful for even next week. And then certainly the Michigan game, if that were the case, um, as we said on the pregame show, we know that there's some stuff out there about this being um, maybe a, a, a worse picture um, now that they've had some time to look at it. So hopefully we'll be able to dive into that more on Tuesday with Ryan Day. But yeah, this, that's that's a different um, characterization, I think, of, of Lathan's status than it was a week ago. Josh Proctor's okay if he can if he can be back for the Buckeyes next week again with what Jordan Hancock has shown in the slot not just as a cover guy, but you saw him today. He'll trigger and come up and make plays in the run game. If that's how, instead of a Sonny Styles jordan Hancock rotation in the slot with Ransom and Proctor as your deep safeties, if you get into a world where Styles and Proctor are your deep safeties all the time and Hancock doesn't come off the field in the slot, and that's the way you make up for Lathan Ransom, which is what they've been doing, does that work long-term, do you think? Yeah, yeah, I think so. The, the only thing, I guess, that concerns me a, a little bit about that, maybe concern is the wrong word, I like Sonny Styles down close to the line of scrimmage as much as possible. And when he is playing that bandit position in place of Lathan Ransom, which is your strong safety, like that guy's down a lot, but he is asked to play deep sometimes, or he's asked to play the deep half, and it's not that Sonny can't do that. It's just that you want him in position to be his most impactful and sometimes it feels like he's almost taken out of plays because of that. It's just the structure of the defense. But you want someone with his range and his speed and this physicality, I think, down to help play the run. So maybe Jim Knowles will have to mess around with some of those and, and get the safeties moving a little bit to that. And he has played better, but Malik Hartford, who played about half the game last week and then played the whole game tonight because with Proctor and Ransom out, that's where they have to go with the safeties. Yeah. I just That's a true freshman. They don't want to get in a situation where they have to rely on a true freshman like Malik Hartford against Michigan in a Big Ten title game in the playoff. No, and like the door was open for Malik Hartford, I think, early in the year when he got that spot start in place of Josh Proctor, I believe, and kind of got pulled after a drive or two when Jihad Carter played. Um, he played better tonight, I thought. Yeah. Um, covered better, came down and played the run a little bit, like looked more comfortable, so that's good. But, but yeah, I think they know who their guys are, and and – I don't think Malik Hartford is quite one of them, but it's nice to see him make some progress. And then Tommy Eichenberg is like one of these things, right? Tommy no thumbs. You figure, well, I don't know, you know, as long as he has 
a couple limbs, maybe doesn't need all of them mm-hmm. to play against Michigan. But it reminds me a little bit, I, I, I'm double-checking, John Simon in 2012. It's like, John Simon, I mean, that's as much of a Buckeye as you get. And then he got hurt and then couldn't play in the Michigan game. And it was sort of like he's a game-time decision. Can he go? It's senior day, and then he couldn't go. So there are times when it's like, well, it doesn't matter how tough you are. doesn't matter how dedicated you are. doesn't matter what kind of Buckeye you are. Like, you're just too hurt to play. So – you know, I think everybody has an impression of Tommy Eichenberg. And again, Ryan Day was more optimistic about him than he was about Ransom, but he also has to be healthy. He does. Um, he didn't have anything that I could tell looking for my binoculars way up here down in the field, like on his arm or, or wrist. Like Jim Noll kind of said it was like an elbow and a forearm. And we saw him go out of the game late against Rutgers last week. I think the thing that's interesting with that is they play Minnesota next week. Minnesota's going to run the ball a whole lot. And even if Tommy is healthy enough to play but not quite 100%, do you want to put him in a game where he might have to make 15 tackles? Right. Um, I think perhaps not. So I could see a scenario where, like, Tommy Eckenberg's like a game-time decision next week and then probably doesn't play, but is probably healthy enough to do so if the stakes were different. All right, we're going to get to some questions later. I know you guys probably have other thoughts about uh, what happened tonight, but let's go big picture because I did think what happened today is Ohio State played – a Michigan-type game that Michigan had played nine times this season, which is blow out an inferior opponent and take care of business doing what you do. And then Michigan played an Ohio State game because Ohio State with Notre Dame, with Penn State, to some degree Wisconsin, had been challenged in a way that Michigan hadn't been. So the, the comparison there is what Michigan did against Penn State today and what Ohio State did against Penn State a couple weeks ago I have some stats we can talk about, but what did you learn about what it's going to look like in the game in two weeks based on a common opponent that now Michigan and Ohio State have both beaten? Yeah, I think I think this uh, trifecta of Penn State, Michigan, and Ohio State, those three games, I, I think are all going to end up looking pretty similar. Um, I, I wondered if I wondered if the the gear we had seen from Michigan's offense. Um, through the first nine games would show up against Penn State. And then it didn't. Um, I actually thought for stretches of this game, Ohio State's offense looked better against Penn State's defense than Michigan's offense looked against Penn State's defense. So that tells me that that game is likely to be pretty tight and probably low scoring and probably play out not dissimilar from how Ohio State's game here against Penn State played out and how that game in, in State College earlier today played out. Both Ohio State and Michigan, in the end, against what I still think is a very good Penn State defense, won that game by doing what they do best. Mm -hmm. Michigan today only threw it eight times. J.J. McCarthy did not attempt to pass in the second half. Michigan gained 60 yards passing, but they ran it 46 times for 227 yards. Ohio State threw it 35 times for 286 yards against Penn State, but only ran for 79 yards on 41 carries. In the end, Ohio State, 365 yards against Penn State, 4.8 yards per carry. Michigan, 287 yards against Penn State, but 5.3 yards, not per carry, per play. So Michigan averaged a half yard more per play because there were more possessions in the Ohio State-Penn State game. This is what it told me, though. Ohio State has to throw to win against Michigan. And they have done that the previous two years. C.J. Stroud had huge passing numbers against Michigan. But that they beat Penn State last year and this year, Ohio State did, by throwing the ball when needed, by getting the ball to Marvin Harrison Jr. when needed. 
Marvin Harrison Jr. has to beat Michigan. And then the other parts of Ohio State, the defense has to stand up. The run game has to be at least a little complimentary. Kyle McCord can't make mistakes, right? Yeah, I'm at Kabuka. But they have to throw to win. And the fact that they did it against Penn State, I think, is a good sign that Michigan ran the ball to win. We know Michigan's going to run to win, right? So the, the thing, and you mentioned this, right? You look at those three teams. There's a lot of similarities between these three teams. The one thing that's not a similarity is Michigan and Penn State don't have Marvin Harrison Jr. Yes. So Marvin Harrison Jr., they have to utilize him to the max in that game. And if they do, I think coming out of today, Ohio State should feel pretty good about his chances. Yeah, I, I mean, I I felt good, or at least I've maintained, I guess, my preseason thought that I think Ohio State will beat Michigan. It was, like, very lukewarm, I think, over the last few weeks because I wanted to see what Michigan looked like when it finally played a good team. But now, like, I'm not I'm not making my prediction for the game on November 11th, but I feel pretty good about their chances now, having, having watched Michigan play today. Um, Penn State couldn't cover Marv, and I don't think Michigan will be able to cover him either, unless they divert so many resources to him that he's yeah. just smothered of bodies all the time. Like but Notre then, Dame kind of did. Yeah, right. Then, Notre but, Dame had a corner in Ben Morrison who could match up, and plus they leaned a lot of coverage to him. Michigan yeah. has a guy like Will Johnson mm-hmm. who they can put on him and lean coverage to him, and then what happens? Marv doesn't do much in a Mecca. And a Mecca has a huge game. does, yeah, and you have Kate Stover too, and Ohio State is increasingly getting Trevion Henderson involved throwing the ball. So I, I would feel pretty good about – the, the ability to throw the ball in that game. And also, too, because I don't – the thing that worries me about Michigan and Ohio State is the interior of Michigan's defensive line against basically Ohio State's center, but I guess more broadly the interior of that line. Because I, I didn't know that I watched the ends for Michigan like give Penn State a lot of trouble mm-hmm. earlier today. Um, and actually, on the flip side of that, the ends for Penn State kind of did to Michigan what I thought they were going to do to Ohio State, and they didn't do it. Um, and you talked about that on our Kings of the North preview on Monday. You had concerns about Michigan's ability with the tackles to block the edge guys. And very quickly off the bat, and I'm assuming a lot of you guys watched Michigan-Ohio State, uh, Michigan-Penn State today, the first two series, Chop Robinson and Deny Dennis Sutton and Adisa Isaac were having their way with the Michigan right tackle. Yeah. And Michigan decided, like, well, I guess we're not going to throw. And yes. and if Ohio, if Jack Sawyer, who is playing what lately? Really well. Really well. Yeah. If Jack Sawyer and JT Tumolowau can have a similar kind of success against the Michigan right tackle that Penn State did, Michigan cannot afford to be a one-dimensional offense against Ohio State because Ohio State's going to be more dynamic offensively and 20 points probably isn't going to win this game. They could buckle it down and turtle up and run the ball effectively because Penn State's offense is non-functional. So they could avoid – the huge gaping problem they had at right tackle because running was enough to win. I don't think Michigan can only be a one-dimensional offense and beat Ohio State. I don't. I don't think so either. And and I also think they're part of the reason they were able to do that against Penn State on Saturday is because of the nature of Penn State's defense, just like being so aggressive. Like I think aggressive to the point where eventually they become unsound, and that has happened. I think with Manny Diaz there in in the past, but. I did not think that Michigan's success running the ball today was anything like their success running the ball last year when they ran for 400 yards and were just knocking Penn State off the ball for basically the entire second half of that game. It had been pretty close in the first half, and then Michigan blew their doors off in the second half. I thought today was just about Michigan assuming correctly that Manny Diaz is going to be pretty aggressive, whether that was bringing pressure, overloading one side, and just kind of running to the other side, or 
understanding that Penn State's defensive ends were going to get pretty far upfield because they're very quick and aggressive, um, sort of havoc-creating players when they can do that, but they just kind of use that aggression against them, I thought. I, I didn't I, – I was wondering if it might be we're just going to line it up and move you the whole time. We're just going to move you. We're going to get five yards anytime we want it. I didn't think that was it. I thought it was like a little bit of inconsistency and, and not as much as efficiency as they would want running on first and second down, but then on third down, you just like run a draw because – Penn State's entire defense yeah. is like running wide into the backfield, and it's like, oh, I'll, I'll take this lane up the middle. So I, I, I found all of that pretty encouraging. I think if I'm if I'm Ohio State's defense, and I am to assume that they are going to approach that game how they've approached kind of every game this year, which is not being over aggressive, dialing that back, and and trying to find ways to play more sound. I think that is an effective recipe against Michigan. And listen, I don't know if you guys know this, but sometimes people are terrible when it comes to talking about college football and they blow smoke. And so there's all like, Oh, Michigan rallying. I mean, listen, what did you think they were going to not be able to throw the ball because they'd be crying the whole game because <laughs> Jim Harbaugh suspended. So uh, yes, of course, Michigan deserves credit for that, but this was not like a Michigan rallies and dominates and does it for Jim. I thought this was like, once again, Penn state being borderline non-functional offensively. And I do think Sharon Moore as the head coach, offensive play caller, when they got in trouble, he found a way for them to be successful. Yep. And I think you think about Michigan's offensive play calling compared to Penn State's offensive play calling is night and day. And, yes. and we saw that in the Penn State-Ohio State game here too. Like we understand that Drew Aller is young and the Penn State receivers don't get open, but it is stunning sometimes how ineffective Penn State is on offense. Drew Aller had a key fumble in this game. Finally, again, in both games for Penn State against Ohio State and Michigan, when they get down late, yes, the defense is playing some soft coverage, but when they're forced to throw, they actually, I mean, they moved the ball and scored touchdowns in both those games, yes, against soft coverage. But I thought today was more about Penn State in a big moment, poor game management by James Franklin going for too early when he shouldn't have, like he put him in a hole that he didn't need to be in, and bad play calling. I did not think, I thought it was more about what Penn State didn't do than what Michigan did do. And yeah. so, like, whatever, whoever's blowing smoke to you about, like, Michigan rallying the trips, whatever, again, credit for winning without your head coach. But, like, that was not – that wasn't a Rudy game, man. Like, what are we doing? Why do we have to treat everything like it's the freaking American hockey team against the Russians? Sometimes your coach has to be at Starbucks, yeah. and you're better, and you go win because Penn State doesn't know how to drop a third-down pass. It's not the greatest motivational moment in sports history. It's just a nice road win against a team that's playing one-handed because their offense stinks. Yeah, and also does, like seems to have a fundamental misunderstanding of like situational football Ugh. and an ability to execute in those situations. They were 0 for forever on third down when they played here against Ohio State. Uh, I don't know what they were on third down today against Michigan. I just know that they didn't they didn't really seem to know when to push the right buttons. That was the thing that stood out to me. It was like Sharon Moore, and like he's the offensive line coach. I think that helps. He's been the play caller all year, so like he wasn't really thrust into a new role in that way. But he did when he had to do something, like to find a first down to extend the drive. He definitely seemed to have his finger on the pulse much better than Mike Yersich did. Just talk about it real. Yeah, like we're all adults. Yeah. Why do we have to pretend? Why do we have to pretend that everything is the greatest overcoming of adversity that anybody has ever seen? Sometimes you just win a football game because the other team can't get out of its own way. All right, let's talk about. The next big topic, which is what today did for everybody's thoughts about Ohio State as a national title contender. Because what was your view coming in? They're undefeated. 
They're number one in both of the first two college football playoff rankings. They're not number one in the polls, but they are for the committee who's smarter than the idiotic pollsters. Mm -hmm. But how did you think Ohio State was was viewed in the bigger picture of, like, can these guys actually win it all before today? Like a, a temporary fixture in the conversation until they were to lose to Michigan. Like, number one, because their resume put them there. No one actually believed they were the best team in the country. I'm sure people still don't believe that now, especially after what Georgia's done the last two weeks. Um, but deficient in a way that they were not a serious part of the conversation. How much more serious do you believe them to be? And let's talk about first what you think, and then we'll talk about perception. How yeah. did today shift at all? your view of Ohio State as a national title contender. Yeah, I want to be clear. Like I, I, I did not think they were deficient in a way that they didn't belong in the conversation. I was saying that, that's what I thought the national view on Ohio State was. Um, my major lingering question is, like, if you want to win a national championship, you got to be able to make some throws. And is that in Kyle McCord to do that? Now, I'm not trying to give him undue credit for dicing up a, a – average Michigan State defense. But what I wanted to see, I guess, was similarities to what Washington and Michigan were able to do to this Michigan State defense to at least tell me that Ohio State can get to that level against a common opponent compared to probably the most explosive passing offense in the country and one of the more efficient offenses in the country that has thrown the ball pretty well in Michigan. And they did that. And I thought Kyle McCord, like, throw for throw, just, like, stacking – Accurate, well-timed passes on top of accurate, well-timed passes. Seeing things well when he needed to see them. He had, like, for all the highlight throws that were in this game, I actually think the best throw of the game might have been when he, like, fouled Cade Stover as, like, the third read in an option to convert a first down that just got them a little bit farther away from their own end zone. Mm. They ended up punting on that drive, but they didn't have to punt it out of their own end zone because Kyle McCord completed, like, an eight-yard pass to Cade Stover where I think Cade was was the third or fourth read in that progression. And he just didn't, he didn't you don't see Kyle doing a ton of that this year. So like he did that and he had an incredible touch and accuracy on the first touchdown to Marvin. I thought the the wheel route to Xavier Johnson was well thrown. The post to Marvin was well thrown. The ball to K that we talked about earlier was well thrown. It was just his best day throwing the football. And, and I wanted to be reassured that Kyle McCord had that kind of game in him, even if it is against the defense that that's playing uphill against Ohio State's talent. You want to see see Kyle McCord um, play calm and kind of dice up a defense, and he did that, I thought. 24 of 31, 335 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. This is the question I asked uh, a couple questions of our tech subscribers. If you'd like to be a tech subscriber, you get a two-week free trial, which, like, uh, if you like, if you did it, like, yeah, today, you'd get it. You'd get up through – well, maybe wait until Sunday. And you'll get up through the Michigan game. You'll get all our comments, and you can vote on polls and stuff during the Michigan game. And then if you don't like it, you can stop, and you'll never have to pay. Uh, 614-662-4509. Send a text to that number. You can sign up. Do you think Ohio State can win the national title? These are the choices I gave our tech subscribers. No, little chance. Maybe some chance. Yes, great chance. What do you think won? Uh, maybe. Yes, 51%. Maybe 48%. No, 1%. So, right, more than half the people now, this is dedicated, educated, loyal Ohio State fans, are over the top of like, yeah, more than half the people are there. 
How did this performance versus Michigan State affect your view of Ohio State's national title chances? I said it gave a huge boost, some boost, no boost, or, man, I already believed. I, I didn't need a boost, right? Some boost won 68%, huge boost 17%, no boost like they're good but it's still going to be tough 11%. I was already there 4%. So two-thirds of the people are some, po- some boost at least, and then 85%, right? is either some or huge. I'm huge. You're huge? Nice. I'm a huge boost. (laughs) I'm huge boost because I did not know for sure if the level of quarterback playmaking would allow them to compete at the highest level. I had thought to myself, can they win a shootout? Now, just because you're unstoppable in the first half against Michigan State doesn't mean you're going to do that against – Alabama or Florida State or Washington or Georgia or Michigan. But if you can't do it against Michigan State, then you're definitely not going to do it against those teams. So this was that step. And I thought play calling, I thought Ryan Day was kind of in his bag a little bit of like, again, the puppeteer, right? The marionette tier. Marionette tier? The guy with the marionette strings. Like, I just thought he was in control and Kyle McCord was in control with him of all all their faculties getting everything they want to Marvin Harrison Jr., working in the run game, and then the defense is the defense. They should have had a shutout. The defense is the defense. So I I know the quality is not as good, but I didn't think – I had not felt that way. I thought the defense was good. We know the playmakers, but I didn't know if they could be efficient and consistent enough offensively, and then the playmaking of the quarterback. And, and again, it doesn't mean Kyle McCord has to run around, but when you see Cade Stover, okay, all he sees, the linebacker on the touchdown to Cade Stover, is a little bit late getting out on Cade. So he knows, okay, I think I have that immediately because the guy's going to be inside Cade the whole time because he could never get out to get in front of him and have any leverage on him, right? So he knows, I know I can hit something outside on Cade's outside shoulder. And he looks at him the whole way. Cade never really is open, but he plugs him on the hip because he identified it off the snap and he made the throw. Like, that's playmaking. I'm not sure if that was supposed to be the first read on that play or not, but, like, again, the the scramble nature of the defense. And then he he ripped it. And it's like, okay, now it's going to be harder against Georgia, Alabama, or Florida State, but at least he did it there. To me, I, I came a long way. Yeah. With Kyle McCord and the offense success consistently tonight. Major point of that, he was not sacked. Uh, go, when we look at PFF stuff tomorrow, I'd imagine the pressure rate will be quite low in this game. The, the one play I recall him getting pressure, he did a great job of kind of sidestepping that pressure and then flipping a little shovel pass to Cade Stover on a play that should have been dead and very likely yep. could have killed the drive before it got started. Instead, they get 12 yards, they're out and rolling, and they score a touchdown on the end of that drive. But like that, we've had that conversation, right? When Kyle is clean, his numbers are about as good as anyone's. Maybe not quite as prolific, but in terms of like accuracy and grades or whatever and limiting turnover-worthy plays, he's, he's where you want him to be when he's not getting pressured and when he's not having people in his face uh, routinely. And that didn't happen tonight against Michigan State. So from a clean pocket on some well-designed plays – he did rip throws. And I, like there have been periods in every game this year where he's had opportunity to rip throws and maybe didn't always do it. I thought it happened a few times last week. I think he did it like every time today, which is the step you want to see him take. National title odds 
of the moment. And again, like when you're doing this on a Saturday when games are still being played, like these are changing every second. Right now, Michigan plus 210 is the national title favorite on DraftKings. Georgia is plus 240. Alabama is plus 550. Ohio State is plus 650. Florida State plus 850. Oregon plus 900. Washington State plus 1,200. So that's pretty lumped together, but pretty decent odds for Ohio State. This is, right. I don't know what what the right word is. Well, I, I said to our texters, this is like time to show who you are week. And in the 10th game of the season, this is what Ohio State has done. Now, it's hard because it's like, well, you know, last two weeks, past two years, in the 12th game of the season, they lost. And in 2018, in the 11th game of the season against Maryland, they came this far away from losing. So it's not like when you show out in the 10th game that then it's smooth sailing from yeah. then on. But it has been a week. To me, it's a culmination. And I thought Ryan Day said this in the post game. Did you think he felt that, that this was like, we understand there's some bumps along the way, but this was like a let's get – Let's culminate this. Let's reset, get our feet planted, and now we're two weeks out from Michigan. I thought he indicated that he felt something today. Yeah. I, well, he's been waiting, I think, to get everybody back, right? They were yeah. for so long without Emeka Abuka, and then, like, Emeka comes back and Cade Stover's out, and Emeka's not quite himself. And Emeka only had one catch today for 12 yards. So, like, I think he's still trying trying to figure that out and maybe still still not some good blocks good yeah, blocks. yeah. Good, good blocks. Yeah, but you want, like, he needs to have more than one catch. Yep. Um, but, you know, Marvin – Cade had 14, so um, and they were kind of done throwing the ball after the first half was over. So I, I get why Emeka wasn't totally involved. But yeah, he was waiting for them to get, I don't even know, healthy, just like whole um, on the offensive side of the ball. And they're, they're more or less there now. And they, they appear to get out of this game pretty clean, unless I'm for, forgetting something. I don't, I don't think I am. So there was that. But then he also, like, I, I don't actually remember him saying this on Tuesday, but then he said, that he may have mentioned it on Tuesday, that he thought watching the film against Rutgers that guys graded out well, stuff just wasn't quite hitting the way you wanted it to, but he could sense something like this coming. Now, yep, Rutgers has a good defense, and Michigan State has an average defense, so that's part of the conversation too. But yeah, I think, I think Ryan Day saw this coming a little bit, and I think those, those seeds were planted probably last week as they started to find a better way in the second half against Rutgers. It's just one of those things. It's more about like, I always like, you have to do this in life or otherwise you get, you get to the end of, of the road and you've taken all the good things for granted and freaked out yourself out about all the bad things. Like you just always have to think like, was this game perfect? Like, well, no, well, but what if it had been like pretty clunky and it's yeah. like, Holy moly, Michigan actually beat somebody good today. Okay. Now the, the Buckeyes have one week to get this fixed against Minnesota before it's Michigan time. Like, where would you be then? Yeah. Like, you'd be freaking – wouldn't fans be freaking out if this had been like Kyle McCord had like two careless turnovers and was 17 of 38 and they won by 10? I think people would be freaking out. So, like, yeah, put that sure. picture in your head and then think to yourself like, oh, I'm not freaking out. Right? That helps. Everyone feels better. I think so, yeah. I mean, would, no one would have been surprised, I think, if that happened. They've – They've won a handful of games. Yeah. <laughs> even even the games they've won that were lopsided, like the Purdue game was ultimately very lopsided. They didn't look like this. This was touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. Yeah. Well, with a punt in between, I think. But six scoring drives and seven possessions, one, one of them a field goal, I think is what it was, right? Yeah, five out of six. Uh, six drives in the first half, five touchdowns, one punt. Yep. So this is, this is what happens on this day. I'm going to run through 
the 10th game of the season since Ryan Day got here as the offensive coordinator and what had happened in week nine, and then here they are in week 10. So 2017, week nine, they lose to Iowa. Holy moly. Week 10, 48-3 over Michigan State. 2018, kind of a weird game against Nebraska. They win by five. 26-6 versus Michigan State in week 10. Not a blowout, but a solid win, right? 2019, they actually blow the doors off of Maryland. But then week 10, Rutgers 56-21. 2020 is COVID. 2021, weird game against Nebraska, right, where Garrett Wilson's out and everything's kind of yes. kind of goofy. 26-17. Then week 10, 59-31 against Purdue. Blow them out. 2022, it's the Northwestern win game. Everything's all goofy, 21-7. Week 10 against Indiana, 56-14. So their, their week 10 scores since Ryan Day got here, 48-3, 26-6, 56-21, 59-31, 56-14, 56-14. And then 38-3 tonight. The first halves, the last three years, 21, 22, and 23. In the first half of week 10, they have 21 possessions, 15 touchdowns, one field goal, four punts, and turning over on downs. Like, this is what they do this week of the year. And now I'm going to remember it for the future and, like, make great proclamations and be That's smart correct. about my pick with it. But, again, it's just – it's it's not – it's more that how how much angst there would have been if they didn't do it. So appreciate that they did do it. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about the last thing before we get to questions, which is Marvin Harrison Jr. and the Heisman. And if you want to talk about like futures odds changing by the minute, these are they've changed every time I've looked at them in the past forty five minutes. Here's where the Heisman, man, people are really on Bo Nix. This is really changing a lot. Here's where we are right now this very second at 11.36 p.m. Saturday night. Oregon quarterback Bo Nix, who's playing right now against USC, I don't even know what he's doing, is the Heisman favorite on DraftKings at plus 120. It's 13-7 in the second quarter. He has two touchdowns. He has two touchdowns. Michael Penix from Washington, who's been the Heisman favorite for about a month now, is at plus 240. Marvin Harrison Jr., who was not – that long ago, 60 to one is now four to one to win the Heisman. Jaden Daniels, the LSU quarterback, who put up ridiculous stats today, he's eight to one. And then you drop to Carson Beck at Georgia, 20 to one. So there's four guys who are under 20 to one. One of them is Marvin Harrison Jr., four to one. What did the- Sorry, Bonix has four completions for it's the second quarter, like just started. He has four completions for 169 yards and two touchdowns. So what did this game do for your view of Marvin Harrison Jr.'s Heisman hopes? I mean, my, my, my hopes for him were pretty high coming into this game. I, I think the thing that was important was maintaining a certain level of statistical output to keep yourself in the conversation because that is unfortunately what this award is about. Ryan Day said in this press conference, you know, it's not given to the guy with the best stats. It's given to the most outstanding player. It's usually given to the guy with the best stats. Yeah. Um, and Marvin, as long as he doesn't play like North Texas. As, yeah, or right, right. The, the best guy on the best team with the best stats. Um, Marvin is like not quite at the top in terms of receiving production. And then even then, I think to be a receiver who wins it, your production not only has to be good relative to your peers of the position, but like extraordinary, I think, um, compared to past seasons and what people come to expect of you. So he did a good job today, I think, putting a nice dent in that with seven catches for 149 and two touchdowns, plus a rushing touchdown. But I think the rushing touchdown, on top of his excellent play as a receiver, 
was a reminder to people, if you happen to be paying attention, just how integral he is to this offense and the, and the variety of ways he can be used to impact the offense. And like I know, like Ryan Day said, like we don't make a point to give the guy a ball and boost his numbers when he's in the Heisman race. I guess they do. And they yeah. were doing that today, and I have absolutely no problem. It's with fine. That. Everybody it's totally has it. fine. They should do it. Um, so it was good. I think you after last week and not having a ton of catches and just kind of getting the two touchdowns, he needed a big statistical game, I think, to just keep positioning in this conversation. And then ultimately it comes down to what happens at Michigan. At Michigan. As the game was ending, he was plus 340. So he's plus 400 now. So like people were even more jacked up right when the game was ending. Mm-hmm. If they like handing the ball to Emeka Ibuka because Emeka has like some running back traits, if Marvin Harrison Jr. wasn't in a Heisman race, they would have handed the ball to Emeka. Yes. Not Marvin. Because that's yeah. just not what Marvin – it doesn't mean that he can't. But I mean, he's looked good the few times they've yeah. done it. Yeah. So um, Marvin Harrison Jr. threw 10 games – 59 catches, 1,063 yards, 13 touchdowns. Last year through 10 games, 60 catches. So he actually has one fewer catch than this time last year, 969 yards. So he has basically 100 more yards this year, 11 touchdowns last year. So he's not that different, but he has seven 100-yard receiving games. Last year he only had five through this, and I felt like he was a little more – he had a couple like – he had two games over 180 last year, but he had a couple more games where he, he wasn't as involved. He's been, like, very consistently involved at a high level. Rutgers last week was kind of a one-off, but to get it right back to it here, since Notre Dame, he has been a high-level, reliable, excellent, rare, talented, primary part of this offense, just I think in a way that even though the stats are similar, it, it didn't quite feel that way last year. And by the way, you have to have a run-up. Last year was the appetizer. Now he can be a main entree on yes. the Heisman menu, whereas it's hard to do that out of nowhere. But So I'm not like trying to say, like, oh, he's, he's only as good as he was last year. But I think it's good for him that I think he, he is certainly perceived as much more as a, of a Heisman candidate now than he was 10 games in last year when the stats are not that dissimilar. But I think the perception is correct. But it's, it's not... It's not a stats case for him. It's not going to be a stats case, but the stats have to be good enough yes. for his, I am the best player on the best team, give it to me. And I think best player on the best team is always the best. Heisman. That's the number one Heisman argument. Whether you're Manti Teow as a Notre Dame linebacker or whether you're Joe Burrow as an LSU quarterback, you're the best player on the best team. And I think the stats, what they're doing with him and they're doing it because it helps them win games, are good enough for him to make a very strong case on that. Yeah, they're good. They're, they are, that, that's kind of the point I was trying to make. The stats are good enough. They're not, they don't maybe blow you away. But I also like the mere fact that his stats are similar and the yardage-wise are better than last year, and like he doesn't have C.J. Stroud throwing yep. the ball, and also he played not quite half the year, but almost half the year without Emeka Ibuka. Yep. I think that adds to his case too. Now, the, the question, I guess, is like, are Heisman voters that discerning? Like, are they actually going to take that into account? I would hope so. Um, I, as a voter, would take that into account, and I guess maybe we could do our part to remind people of that. But um, I think it's a it's a much different season. The way the, the attention is being paid to what he's doing is just on a it's tenfold from what it was last year because he just wasn't the story last year. It was C.J. Stroud. It was C.J. Stroud and like this this bevy of receiver talent, but. 
Marvin, I don't think, really rose above that kind of until the end of the year, like until the Georgia game. By that point, it was too late. Yeah. And but that that springboarded him into what it is now. And I think he's always been front of mind. And people were just waiting for the consistency of production to show up. And, and it has over the last seven, eight games. And it certainly helps him that Bo Nix and Michael Penix are great quarterbacks. They're not Caleb Williams. They're not mm. Bryce Young. They're not Joe Burrow. Like they're not like that kind of thing because when you have a dominant quarterback on a winning team, it's hard for anybody to get past that. So Bonix is through a third touchdown pass. But I also don't think like USC's defense is terrible. Like I don't yeah. like Bonix can throw seven touchdown passes against USC. And he probably is going to yeah. because Dan Landing's trying to make the same case that Ryan Day was making today. Yeah. And I don't think I, I, that I think that is merely about maintaining a certain level of statistical production, I think, than it is like, oh my God, I'm blown away by what Bo Nix is doing against a god-awful defense. Yeah. Do you think Marvin Harrison Jr. can win the Heisman Trophy? I gave the same things I did with the team. Yes, great chance. Maybe some chance. No, little chance. 52% great chance. 46% maybe some chance. 2% no or little chance. So the team, can they win the national title, was 51% great chance. Can Marvin win the Heisman is 52%. Great chance. And then I did, how did this performance affect it? Same as I did with the team. Huge boost, some boost, no boost, or I always believed. Some boost, 53%. Huge boost, 41%. And then 6% for the other two. It was only 18% huge boost for the team national title chances. 41% huge boost for Marvin Heisman chances. So I think to come back from like a you know not great statistically Rutgers game and then do this right away in the first half uh, I think was compelling and Ohio State as we have noted is like making graphics and stuff and the reason they make the graphics because on the broadcast on NBC they started showing it they started talking about it you can't win a Heisman candidacy with graphics but when you have a supremely talented player and a bunch of ding dong Heisman voters who have to be led by the hand through who the best candidates are do you think it helps or no? Yeah, I, I think it. I think it does. I think, I think Heisman voters like being told who to vote for. They a, do a large, a large percentage they anyway, do. of the Heisman voting uh, block likes to be told who to vote for rather than you know have a, a shred of original thought. So yeah, it does help. Yeah. So um, so a very good night, I think overall for Ohio State. It was a little interesting to me that like Ryan Day. I mean, Ryan Day did kind of say we're getting our guys back. And then, like, listed all the defensive guys who didn't play. So there's still a part of Ryan Day, like, when he's talking about getting our guys back, he means, like, on the offense. Yeah. Because he calls the plays for the offense. He's like, ah, Jim Knowles will figure it out. Um, But I I do think for where they have been during the course of this season, and it was such a huge deal. Their best receiver basically didn't play last year, right? Mm -hmm. And when we talk about where they got to against Georgia, and everybody knows it, but – Jackson Smith and Jigba's already out. Trevion Henderson's already out. And then you lose Cade Stover and you lose Marvin Harrison Jr. Like during the course of the game. You, Ohio State always like wants to be at its best. They ended up losing last year when they weren't at their best physically. Do you think they'll be enough close to their best physically when it matters in two weeks against Michigan. Yeah, they should be. Yeah. Okay. I think I th- the Lathan ransom is the big one, but otherwise, yeah, I feel, I feel okay about that. All right. So that means we'll get to a couple questions that you guys have about this game. I'm a little curious, like there's not, it doesn't feel like there's a ton to 
critique or criticize, but that doesn't mean there's nothing to talk about. So Mike, our producer, has been checking out what the tech subscribers have been sending. Mike, what do you have for us? Yeah, guys, uh, like you said, Doug, not not a ton to really complain about in this game. Chris would like to know, which it is an interesting point, and it's something we've talked about on previous shows before, uh, just really with the development of, of Kyle McCord in previous years. He, he asked, why does Ryan Day never – let the backups run the full offense. I think a lot of people, when you know Keenholz got in there, wanted to see him, you know, make some throws, throw the ball around a little bit. And a lot of the Texers have kind of been asking that same question: is it seems very vanilla, very you know, just get the game over with and not let them run the full offense. Yeah, that's what it is. So, I have two particular points on this. So let me ask you a question about the first one. Do you think if Kyle McCord would have gotten a little more live action last season, that when he got into games, he had been able to run more of the full offense, would it have helped him this year? Yes. I think so, too. We were, we were talking about this during the game, like, let him get in there and get sacked. Like, which is, and we don't need to be glib about that. You, certainly the last thing you want is anybody getting hurt. But... I think in a situation, it, it like it depends who your backup is, which is my second point. But when your backup is going to be the starter the next year, I think it's a different equation, mm-hmm. right? And so it's like it's you want the guy to be ready now. He's always one play away from playing right now, but you're also building something for the future. And so we ended up talking about this a ton last year. But I actually think, again, like it took Kyle a little time to get accustomed to pressure and get accustomed to the speed of the game. You know, I'm not saying it would have been the magic pill, but it to me has reinforced a little bit of what we spent a lot of time talking about last year, that he should get a chance to get out there and do stuff. Yeah, you want to you wanna know what it feels like to get hit. You want to know what it feels like to have to sidestep, sidestep pressure and deliver a ball down the field, which like – you can try to mimic and practice, but I think it's it's just a much different thought process when you know you're not going to get hit. And, you know, I mean, Kyle McCord had to start as a freshman, right? So his path is, is a little different, but there were definitely times last year when they should have let him do more. Probably Devin Brown, too. Um, I think it's a slightly different conversation with Lincoln Keyholtz, right? I think it's yeah. an entirely different yeah. conversation. I understand it because I want to see him throw the ball around, too. But I'm also not looking at Lincoln Keenholz as like the 2024 starting quarterback, so I'm less uh, upset about it. He's not even the backup now. He's the fourth He's string the fourth quarterback string. right yeah. now. But Devin Brown is too hurt to play, and Tristan Jebby is hurt. And so Lincoln Keenholz is not coming into the Michigan game. And Lincoln Keenholz is not going to be the starter next year. So theoretically and Generally, I agree with the point that the Texters are making. Tonight's not the point to make it because they're just trying to like finish out the game with the dude who was playing South Dakota high school football last year at this time while he was committed to Washington. Yeah. Right? So and he like, did throw the ball three times, which is like more than Kyle McCord yeah. and Devin Brown did a lot last year in their appearances. I mean, if Devin Brown had been healthy and had been in there for a half, they would have run the offense with yes, Devin Brown. They would have. Yeah. They would have had to. Mm-hmm. What do we think of, and, and Austin Ward was down on the field for us, like really like sort of noting this, that Devin Brown, like in his mind, like just did not look very comfortable going through warmups tonight. I mean, I make, I make a lot out of it. I thought the fact that he dressed last week was 
shocking based off what we saw that injury. Like I just figured it was a high ankle sprain and those take three, four weeks to heal. He's got a heck of a brace on his foot. It looks almost like a cast. Um, we saw him two weeks ago at practice. Like when he first came back, I didn't think he looked comfortable just like throwing routes on air. Yeah. And I didn't think he looked comfortable today going, going through warmups. So, and I thought he looked probably worse today than he did last week when we saw him doing some stuff. So I, I don't, I don't know what's going on there. Um, you would like to have him able to do some of that quarterback run package, I think, against Michigan. After we saw Michigan defending the, the quarterback run today against Penn State, and there's two weeks now, so maybe maybe he can get there. But I don't I don't think he's anywhere close to that right now. And, and honestly, I think Tristan Jebbia, as a seventh year guy who has been a starting quarterback in the Power Five, could probably run enough of a version of the offense to give Ohio State a chance, even against a very good team. Yeah. I don't think they want to get to a point where Lincoln Keenholz is playing snaps that matter against a top 10 opponent. So like, that's the, just not fair. The one thing I is actually, all right. Keenholz truthers coming through here. Well, no, I, I would have liked to see them let him run the ball more to okay. them throw it. Cause I actually think if there is any chance of him helping this team this year, we'll be doing that. Like we asked about it when Devin Brown first went down, like can that he takes the Devin we Brown know he's running a really snaps. good athlete. He's not as big as Devin and probably isn't going to run somebody over on the goal line. But he's pretty twitchy from what we saw as, as a recruit. And that's like a different kind of run threat, I suppose, but a run threat nonetheless. And I don't I don't think he had a carry today. So um, I would have liked to have seen that much more than him. If he would have had five carries and no passing attempts, I think that would have been a much, uh, a much better use of his time today. Interesting. Yeah. All right, Mike, what else you got? Yeah, guys, we'll go back to actually another Chris. And a lot of texters kind of – Talking about this as well, something else we've talked about a lot the past couple of weeks, but he says, biggest issue again tonight was special teams. Gave up a first down on a fake punt, had to take a timeout on a punt because we couldn't get lined up, and we missed a field goal. Parker Fleming, questions directed at Ryan Day should continue this week. I mean, they're just not going to get anywhere. I I, I asked him well, if I he guess- thought about firing him. Like, I – no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not, yeah, I, yeah. I, I understand. So, my, does it my, hurt you much, in the long run? You know what I mean. Does frustration? This, yeah, how much because frustration, we have limited questions we can ask Ryan Day during a press. Yeah, conference. how much frustration was there? Like, were there multiple texters who were sort of expressing this special teams frustration? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. RJ RJ says fire parking Parker Fleming. Period. Now. Period. So yeah, yeah. There, there, there was a lot. You know, I mean, but and I think like that is what their concern is. Is does it? Yeah. Is it going to cost them in Michigan? You know what I mean? Yes, it might. I basically asked Ryan Day this week, why not fire Parker Fleming now? I tried to – sometimes you need to be very specific and sharp and quick and to the point with the question is sometimes you need to massage a little bit. Why haven't you fired Parker Fleming? I don't think is going to get an answer. But I said you made a coordinator, a coordinator change in 2021 – when you felt like you were not getting what you needed on that side of the ball, have you considered a coordinator change on special teams, right? That was basically my phrasing there, right? Because, again, Kerry Combs gets demoted after the Oregon game because the defense isn't good enough in that game. We've seen multiple games, multiple games, multiple games where the special teams isn't good enough. He's not going to change the special teams' responsibilities this season. Is that pretty clear to you? Uh, yes, unless something disastrous happens. Right. Like, say, botching a fake punt that would have gone for a first down in the Michigan game, something like Correct. that. Correct. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, 
it, it, we're not we're trying to echo the texter's frustration we understand why any ohio state fan would ask this question and it is our job to ask the questions of the people in charge that you don't have the chance to ask and so we did and so um I don't know that I probably won't ask again on Tuesday because like nothing has changed other than the problem continuing. And I don't know that it's going to lead anywhere, but I think the idea of on like making Ryan day accountable for that is really important because I do think it has a chance to rear its head and cost this team a national title. hundred percent. He said a hundred percent, but he said it kind of soft. I Not a hundred percent that it's going to happen. <laughs> I am with Landis you. Landis says Parker uh, yeah. Fleming is going to lose the national title. Yeah. No, I I am with you there in that fear of it happening. Yeah, and the, and the fans. Yeah, and I would imagine Ryan Day has to have that same fear, doesn't he? I feel like his yeah. answers have led us. He understands. I, I don't think the answer is he thinks special teams is good enough. Nope. The answer is he is not willing to fire the special teams coordinator in the middle of the season, which is what I got up, what I got on Kirk Ferentz about last year. It's like, why not make the change now? Like, why won't you do it? So there's a, like... Well, that's been a problem, right, in the, in the tenure. It's, there have been signs of what was coming, in my opinion, enough to make changes, but the changes aren't made until the worst thing happens. Yeah, it's real. We are, all we can say is any Ohio State fan who is expressing frustration and is worried about that, we are with you. And I think almost everybody who covers this team is in agreement on that. I think everybody sees it. And, and it does not feel like there is some hidden, only coaches would understand it explanation of like, actually, you guys, you know, this is what's happening on special teams. You're blaming the coach, but it's not actually his fault because it keeps it's always communication. It's like, well, I don't I mean, like what, what is that? That's like you telling your guys what to do. It's you. It's you getting your guys prepared to perform in the moment and know what their responsibilities are. Mm-hmm. And it repeatedly keeps being a problem. So uh, we're not blowing off the topic. I'm, I'm not sure what another round. We went pretty hard last week. I'm not sure what another round of like, why is he still here would get anybody. Doesn't mean we won't do it, but we have to think about how it serves fans the best. Is that where we want to go when there's a bunch of other things we want to talk about? Yeah, I guess the, the one thing I would add to that is like we're here, we were at the game today, uh, obviously. I I want to watch like Ryan Day's reaction on television to some of the things that happened because mm. then that might make me want to ask. Okay. About it. Yeah, that's good. That's a, like yeah, we got to find. Find different ways to maybe continually ask about the same thing because it's certainly still an issue. All right, Mike, anything else? Yeah, to Bill's point about there, I did see on the TV tonight in the second quarter when we – it was a punt going towards that we were – that Ohio State was receiving down close by their own end zone. The guy – I think Ballard kind of led up on it, and Ryan Day went after him immediately. He went out, down to him on the sideline and said, like, kind of talked to him, like, I think you need to go catch that. You know what I mean? So I think he is He did it to very... Ballard, not to Parker Fleming? <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Like, he should have went up and fair caught it instead of letting okay. it bounce. Um, but, yeah, like, to Bill's point, I think, I think that is very – he seems almost more um, hands-on 
when it when it comes to the special teams. Yeah. Um, another question that Brian Turner for weeks, not knowing situationally what he's supposed to do, which again yeah. is a reflection of poor communication from the coordinator. Yeah, yeah, it all ties together. Um, oh, just what I thought there wouldn't be anything to complain about. I forgot. <laughs> I forgot. Like, what's the thing? Oh, oh yeah, the thing that keeps happening. Brian brings up a good point that is not a com- a, uh, a a complaint. It's actually a compliment, and I, I agree with him too. He brings up. I think he has nailed down Kyle McCord's special trait, and it's tight window throws, which he says, which it is, is different than ball placement. He says, "I'm not talking about leading a guy in space so he catches the ball in stride, but when you need when you need to dart it to a spot, he can hit that spot." Which I think was very evident in that Kate Stover touchdown pass. What do you think about that? I've, I've rip heard, it and rip it. I've heard people mention that before. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe. I act, I I think tight window throws and ball placement are kind of the same thing, um, or at least I would have a hard time differentiating the two. I, I think, but there have been enough tight window throws that I think you could be on to something there. Yeah. Because even the t- the first touch on the Mar was like kind of a tight window. The window is like between the defender and the sideline, but uh, that ball had to be in a very specific spot, I think, for that play to end with a touchdown. Um, so yeah, I think I, I think I can see it. It's hard because all of that is under the general umbrella of accuracy, and he's yeah. not as accurate as CJ. Mm-hmm. So um, I almost think like CJ was so good with the anticipation, which is a little bit of like, okay, here comes the guy, and he's going to be here, and the window's over here. And I'm going to throw it in this tight window over here. Yeah. Kyle feels a little bit more of like, here's the window, right? That like the, the window is Cade's hip. Yeah. And it's like you're at the carnival. Throw it through the tire as hard as you can. The tire's not moving. CJ maybe would think like, oh, the tire's going to be over there. And yes. Kyle's like, there's the tire. And then when he sees it and rips it, he can look pretty stinking good. Yeah, when he does it with confidence. And, and like Ryan always says, like good footwork. Get your feet under you. You noted like he he missed a touchdown to Marvin on a slot fade that yes. Marvin had the leverage. If he would have thrown it more to the sideline, or just out in front of him, yeah, and given him a chance instead, he underthrew it and gave the defender a chance to break that up. And you thought it was footwork, right? Yeah, he threw off his back foot unnecessarily. Uh, Michigan State blitzed on that play, and the blitz didn't get home. There was was picked up quite well. There was just nobody in the backfield. But Kyle immediately started drifting. We've seen him do it before. He did it in the Purdue game quite a few times. Just like drift back, drift back, drift back, throw it off your back foot and hope that Marv goes up to get it. Where if he, again, in my opinion, if he got his feet underneath him, planted and threw and got that ball out in front of Marvin, it would have been a touchdown yeah. if Marvin's fourth of the game. Yeah. yeah, but you can see it, right? I mean, and a lot of it is, I think it's it's like it starts with your head and it comes down through your body and into your base and then comes out your arm. It's if you believe it. Even the throws, the two touchdown throws last week against Rutgers, the two goal line throws, like good base, good ball placement. For Knew Marvin. what he wanted to do. Yeah. One was a back shoulder, one was a high point ball. But like, even the one that Marvin dropped, or not dropped, but like kind of had knocked away from before he caught the first touchdown last week, um, that was a good throw, I thought, because like Kyle, like quick drop back feet underneath him, good accurate ball. When his feet, and Ryan Day said this a million times, when Kyle McCord's feet are right, it's usually a really good throw. And really, I thought probably right that the confidence in the throws today was probably the highest degree of confidence we'd seen since the last drive against Notre Dame. Uh, yeah, 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 definitely. Which is what everybody wants. It's like, what Kyle McCord do you want? And again, had a couple, not every throw on that drive was perfect, but he knew 
And, and then we're talking about ball placement there and mm-hmm. the, on the Julian Fleming throw on fourth down against Notre Dame. Of yeah. course, the third and 19 throw. Like, I see it, and then I'm going to rip it where it needs to go. And so, like, that, again, and you thought, I think a lot of us thought, like, from that moment, okay, here he goes. You know, and it hasn't been all ascending since then, no, which is fine. Little, it's been uh, He's hilly, a first-year starter. Yeah. But you thought maybe it would be. So now, can this be, like, the second ascension? By the way, for all mankind is is back. So watch that. Mm. Rockets, the second ascension, right? That it felt like it was going up, back, came back down a little bit. All right, here it is again. We saw a confident Saturday from Kyle McCord. Man, if he takes that confidence in to Ann Arbor. Yeah, he's going to need to. I think it's imperative. It's probably the most important thing in that game. Yeah, yeah. which is why this is a very good game 10 for the Ohio State Buckeyes. Mike, we'll take one or two more if you got them. Yeah, one more. It comes from Steve. He says – do you guys have any concerns about Ohio State's ability to stop Michigan's running game? Michigan rolled over Penn State on the ground today, and the Buckeyes seem vulnerable a bit when it comes to stopping the run. I don't mean to be negative, but I'm a bit concerned. does bring up a good point. Rutgers, 232 rushing yards last week. Michigan State, 94 tonight. And as you guys mentioned, Michigan didn't attempt to pass in the second half today. I was – we both picked Rutgers to beat Iowa, and Iowa shut out Rutgers today. And I think that was a little bit based on, like, hey, we thought Rutgers had a little something offensively, and then Rutgers couldn't do anything against Iowa. Yep. So that is a little – like, as you, as you continually play the common opponent, what does this mean, whatever, it wasn't like, oh, Rutgers has a run game that's trouble for lots of good defenses, right? I don't know what the stat – like, they weren't trouble for Iowa. So this is – Probably something we'll spend four hours talking about Thanksgiving week. Ohio State trying to contain the Michigan run game. Where are you with it right now? I'm okay with it. I, I don't, again, like I said at the beginning of the show, for anyone maybe who wasn't around at that point, like I actually don't think that Michigan like steamrolled Penn State. I think it was more about Penn State not quite figuring out how to play it than it was physical mismatch between Michigan and Penn State. Um I don't think this Michigan offensive line is nearly as good as it was last year. Uh, I don't think Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards are playing as well as they were last year. So, And I think Ohio State's defense is better than it was last year. Um, we did see Mike Hall go out of this game, and I don't know what's up with him. I guess we got to figure that out too. Like, I won Ohio State 100% at defensive tackle going into that game, but I actually think that JT Tuimolowal and Jack Sawyer have advantages over Michigan's tackles and can help set the edge in those games. And if you're going to tell me – you get a healthy Tommy Eikenberg to play there too, and and Cody Simon is playing at a high level, and um, hopefully Steel Chambers can take a little bit of a step forward as a run defender. I think they're okay. I, I'm not, again, maybe the famous last words. At this moment, I don't look at that game and think, well, Ohio State's going to get steamrolled by that Michigan rushing attack. I don't think Michigan's built that way this year. And again, we have a lot of time to do this, but it's worth doing it now. If Michigan's run game was a 10 out of 10 last year, I'm not saying it was, but let's set that threshold. What do you think it is this year in comparison to that? Like a 6.8. Oh, okay. I thought maybe you said like an 8.5. But like, okay, so that's like a, a decent drop. Doesn't mean they're bad at running it. So, and I will say, so Rutgers last week against Ohio State, as the texter noted, Rutgers 43 carries, 232 rushing yards, 5.4 yards per carry. Today against Iowa, Rutgers 23 carries, 34 yards, 1.5 yards per carry. Kyle Manungai, who was kind of a problem last week, 
24 for 159 against Ohio State. He was a little hurt coming into today against Iowa. They weren't sure he was going to play. 13 for 39. So, like, I actually did take note of that. And and I was asking – now, the thing about it, and it's a, it's a super interesting point. Like, Jim Knowles, and we talked about this, was not that worried about what they gave up the Rutgers in the run game. He no. was sort of like, we don't want to make sure the quarterback run didn't kill us. But you know what? Like, he would take it. And I asked Jim Knowles a question this week trying to get at, like, hey, is it good to face teams that have similarities? Because I was trying to figure out if he thought the Rutgers run game had any similarities to the Michigan run game and was there anything they learned there that might apply to Michigan. But, like, one – and he said, yeah, you know, like, yeah, that happens. But but I I, I most – it's almost interesting to me that, like, maybe the number one thing that coming out of the Rutgers game is Rutgers ran it effectively and Jim Knowles was okay with it. Because I think he feels like – because that's not why Ohio State lost to Michigan last year, because Michigan ran the ball. Now, they ran the ball late for 75-yard touchdowns after Ohio State was down and desperate. Yeah, but they against bad schemes. Michigan yeah. won the game – with big explosive plays, throwing it. And they've stopped giving that up. So there's a, like, like the idea that Michigan will run over Ohio State. Well, they didn't. Like, they ran it really effectively two years ago, right? Yeah. But, yeah. like, that's uh-huh. not what happened last year. So I don't know. And Jim Knowles wasn't here for that. So if Jim Knowles thinks, listen, man, let's not give them some freebies in the pass game, and we'll take our chances. We'll line up. We're not going to stop them every time, but we're going to make them work. And then when our offense gets on the field, we're going to throw it to Marv. That's it. And, like, that's an okay trade-off. That, like, Michigan might, like, have a decent yards per carry average. But that's not what Jim Knowles is worried about. Jim Knowles is worried about points. He's worried about points and 40-yard runs. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really what, like, Michigan did to Penn State last year. Last year they steamrolled Penn State. Yeah. That's not what they did today. They had the one long run at the end of the game when, like, James Franklin put his team in a terrible position by going forward on a fourth down that he shouldn't have and then putting Michigan on the short field. Um, and there was one other long run, I think, from Donovan Edwards that I just think was, like, pure losing contain. Wasn't getting knocked off the ball. So, like, that stuff matters. Like, you know, got to play good positionally and, you know, maintain leverage and all that stuff. Um, and there were probably a couple times tonight where that, that didn't happen the way, the way it should have. Um, but I don't think it's been a season-long issue, and it's not something that I – super on alert about going into that game. All right, so Ohio State moves to 10-0 with a 38-3 win over Michigan State. If you haven't heard for some reason by now, next week's game in Ohio Stadium, 4 p.m. kick on the Big Ten Network against Minnesota. Minnesota lost to Purdue today. The West is a mess. I don't, what is Minnesota now? Like 5-5? Five and five? I think that's right. Yeah. Yikes. Minnesota had it all there. So, like, Minnesota's not that great. Um, two weeks away from the Michigan game. We are doing it. So many times a day here on the podcast channel. Um, we'll have stuff tomorrow morning. There are snap judgments that Austin and Berm did off of this game. Uh, there'll be a rewatch Monday morning from Berm and Landis on the podcast daily. And then we'll be into the rest of the week, including on Monday, Kings of the North, where Landis and I will run through uh, all the best in Northern football. And if you didn't catch it for some reason, we did an emergency show only on our Kings of the North YouTube channel, which is separate from the podcast YouTube channel. Because on the Kings of the North channel, we're not just doing Ohio State. We're doing a bunch of stuff. Landis and I did it there. It's not on a podcast feed. It's not on on anything with the podcast. 
all about what our, what our thoughts were on the suspension of Jim Harbaugh. So we would invite you, if you haven't subscribed, to the Kings of the North, K-O-T-N, YouTube channel. Go find it there, and you can get our thoughts about what's happening with Michigan. For now, uh, thanks to Mike Urostowski for making all this possible. He's Bill Landis. I'm Doug LaMaurice, and thanks you guys so much for joining us here on the post-game show on the podcast.